the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. That's what we're here to celebrate this morning in worship, and that's what we've been celebrating and exploring throughout this Lenten season. I want to assume that everybody here has been with us throughout this Lenten journey, so I want to reintroduce to you the metaphor of this House of Atonement, which has been the title and the metaphor of our series. We've looked at this house with the idea that we're looking at the cross, that we're exploring the meaning of atonement. In each and every week of this Lenten series, what we've done is we've looked through the window or a window in the house, which is another theory or two of atonement, in order to try to get a glimpse of what Jesus has accomplished for us and for the world on the cross. And so each week we've done that. We've looked through these windows with the idea that if you were to go to someone's house, now you can see all the way in now, but usually if you were to go to someone's house and you were to look through a window of their house, you would see part of their house, but not the whole house. If you were to look through another window in the house, you would see a different part of the house, but not the whole house. If you were to look through a third window in the house, as Andrea reminded us earlier in the Lenten series, you would probably get arrested for looking inside someone's house that was not your house, but you'd see another part of the house, and eventually you'd look through all the windows and you'd see so much of the house, but you still wouldn't be able to see the whole house because there would be more in the house that could not be seen. And so we've marveled at this not just as a way of learning information, but as a way of marveling at the greatness and the reckless love of God, the risky and radical love of God, so that we can understand with a greater depth what Jesus has done for us and how that was accomplished on the cross. Except that we also have known each and every week, we've tried to say that you don't have to know all of this to be affected by it. You don't have to know all of this that we've explored throughout this Lenten season to be impacted by it, but it is simply enough to know, as the hymn said, that Jesus died and that he died for me. And something about that simple proclamation affects us in deep, personal, and transformational ways. It reminds me of a story that uh, N.T. Wright told about a Roman Catholic archbishop. The archbishop said that there was a day in a church when there were three young boys who decided they wanted to make a little mischief. And so they went into the side of the church that day and he, they went to the confession booth and each one of them decided to go into the confession booth and confess things to the priest, the wildest sins that they could think of, just to see if they could get a rise out of the priest. And so each and every single one went in, and the first one went in and, pressed, and confessed all kinds of sins, sins that he committed, sins that he hadn't committed, everything that he could think of in order to shock the priest. The priest let that one leave. Another boy came in, did the same thing. The priest knew what was going on, but the, the guy kept confessing the sins, and he let, let him go. And when the third, the third boy came in, he'd had about enough of this. And so he listened to his long list of extravagant sins. But then before he would let him leave... He said, now I have some penance for you. I have some penance for you. What I want you to do now is I want you to leave the confession booth, turn left, walk down to the end, and you'll see an image of Christ hanging on the cross. I want you to stare at that image, look into the eyes of the crucified Christ, and I want you to say three times, you did all that for me, and I don't care that much. And he asked him to snap when he says it. 
So he said, okay. So he walked out and he went down the, the hallway and he looked at the image of the crucified Christ and he said, you did all that for me and I don't care that much. You did all that for me and I don't care that much. You did all of that for me and I... And he couldn't go any further. He began to weep. He began to cry as the love of God began to overwhelm him. And the archbishop said, the reason I know that story is true is because I was that boy. There is something about the message of the cross. The Messiah died for our sins according to the scriptures that impacts us in a deeply personal and transformational way. Knowing that Jesus has done something for us that we could not do for ourselves and knowing as we have learned along the way that Jesus has done something to deliver us from the powers of darkness in a revolutionary way that changes us and changes the world. And there's so much to know about that, to marvel at about that, but it is enough to know that Jesus died and that he died for me. And yet we have to wonder, how is it that we even know that? How is it that we even know the name of Jesus? What is it that brought us to this point? Because the crucifixion wasn't just a death. It wasn't just a capital punishment. But it was an orchestrated event that was meant to cancel human beings. We hear a lot about cancel culture nowadays and we have all kinds of images and ideas and experiences and events that may crop up in our mind when we think about cancel culture and, and people who were canceled. But the cross was meant to be the ultimate instrument of Roman cancel culture. The cross was meant not just to extinguish a life, but the process of crucifixion was meant to extinguish a legacy, extinguish a movement, extinguish a reputation. It was meant to snub someone and any movement that might be connected to them out. The crucifixion was not only a gruesome act, but it was one done on public display to shame and humiliate the individual completely and totally, to scare anyone who might be connected to that individual, to scare them into hiding and fear and humiliation, and also to assert the dominance of Roman power. It was there to ward off any kind of insurrection or movement that might go against the powers of Rome. And it worked. It would have been uncommon in Jesus' day to be walking down the streets in these towns and see crucifixion victims hanging on crosses on the side of the road. Why would they do that? They did that to Create this public display of power that was meant to show you if you rose up against Rome, you would be humiliated. Your life and your reputation would be brought to nothing. You would be extinguished. And what we see in the gospel is that it worked. What we see in the gospel as Jesus was being crucified is that all the male disciples, not the female disciples, thank God for the female disciples, but all the male disciples ran and hid behind locked doors. They could not be found. They scattered. They were afraid for their life. They were afraid that crucifixion was coming after them next. What do we see on the night that Jesus was handed over to suffering and death? We see Peter who just a day or two before 
just the night before, was willing to pull out a sword and lead a revolution in Jesus' name for the kind of movement he thought Jesus was starting. And yet on the night Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, Peter denied that he'd even known him three times. He didn't want to be associated with him. He ran away in fear with the other disciples and hid behind locked doors. So how do we get from that to this? How do we get from trembling in fear, being afraid that your your life and your reputation and your, your family is going to be extinguished to a group of people who were willing to be crucified themselves for the name of Jesus? How do we get from there to here? The answer is resurrection. In fact, one of the most convincing proofs of the actual event of the resurrection is that we even know Jesus' name. Jesus wasn't the only person to be crucified. Jesus wasn't the first or the last person to be crucified. Thousands and thousands of people were crucified. This was on display all the time. And the ultimate end of crucifixion was, you were done. And anything associated with you was done. And yet, how do we get from this moment of disciples locked in fear to being willing to be crucified themselves? Resurrection. You look back at the Gospels and you don't see any of the things we've talked about as we've walked through the weeks of Lent appearing on the lips of any of the disciples. They didn't see this coming. There was no precedent for this. No, all the ideas about the atonement and the cross came in retrospect. Came in retrospect as these transformed people who had been encountered by the resurrected Christ were trying to figure out what it was had happened and why. How was it that they had been freed up and forgiven in ways that they knew deep down in their bones and why? What was it that was going on that was revolutionizing them and the world around them? How did this happen? They began to muse about this again and again and again because they had been encountered by the resurrected Christ. And because on Pentecost, God released God's Spirit into them and started a world-changing movement. The resurrection is the only reason we even know His name. The resurrection is the reason why we know for certain that he has done something for us that needed to be done to free us and bring us into relationship with God, something we couldn't do for ourselves. The resurrection is the reason we know we have been released from slavery and the powers of darkness to live in newness of life. The resurrection is the only reason we even know his name. The resurrection is the reason we know on this morning that we don't just have to look through the windows of the house of atonement anymore, but that the door has been thrown open and that we've been invited to come in. But this is where the metaphor really falls short, as all metaphors do. Because walking in God's house and looking around God's house, as we imagine each and every one of our houses would be magnificent, and we certainly want to do that, but it doesn't quite capture the mystery and the the majesty and the magnificence of the atonement in relationship with God. So what I'd like for you to do in this moment is I'd like for you to imagine instead of a house and a doorway, a mountain 
and a trailhead. I want you to think Everest, not Arkansas. You're staring at this mountain. You're looking out in the distance at it, and sometimes you see it through clouds and mist. Sometimes on a cloudy day, you can't quite get a glimpse of it, but you know its presence is there. You know the majesty and the magnificence of it. You see it. You marvel at it. You might take a helicopter around it. Sometimes the clouds clear and you see in detail the magnificence of this mountain. You might walk around it. You might draw a picture of it. You might journal about the impact of its presence on your life. You might just sit there in awe of it as you come to know the majesty of this mountain. And yet we all know that there's only so much that can be known from a distance. That actually if we just stand at a distance, we'll know the mountains there and we'll see the majesty of it and the magnificence of it, but we won't really know the mountain until we begin to climb it. If we climb it, it becomes different because actually when we're climbing the mountain, when we enter a trailhead and we begin to go up the steep cliffs and things like that, actually we see less of the mountain than we saw back here. But we see it more closely. We smell it. We hear it. We feel it. Sometimes there's a a blizzard. Sometimes there are, are, are strong winds. Sometimes it gets so difficult that we want to leave the mountain behind. Sometimes we go down one trail in one season and the mountain seems like it's a totally different place. I've never seen this part of the mountain before. Sometimes we go to other parts of the mountain and we come back to the places we've been. Those places even look different. This is what happens when we enter into the presence of God through the power of Christ's resurrection. So many of us are willing to say we believe it, We're willing to stand at a distance and affirm that we know it. We're willing every now and then to enter into worship and marvel at it. But the invitation of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not for us to stand back and affirm it, but to enter into it. To walk the trail. To try a new one. To go off the map and to be encountered by the presence of the living God, to begin to explore and adventure, that's the only way we really come into the knowledge of abundant life that Jesus died and rose again to give us by climbing the mountain. And really, that's the invitation of Easter. The invitation for you this morning is to stop standing at a distance to stop sketching the mountain and marveling at the mountain and even pointing to the mountain, but to enter the trail, to enter the adventure of a relationship with Jesus and to find out all of the twists and turns of abundant life deep in your soul. That's the invitation of Easter today. Jesus once said, if you have faith, as small as a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. What we know from the Easter story is that the faithfulness of Jesus has moved the mountain of God's presence into our midst. It's right here, waiting for us to take the next step.
I hope you'll consider that today as we continue to worship. Pray with me. Holy God, you are here. And yet many of us feel so distant from you. Many of us are even holding you at a distance. The mountain of your presence in your life is beautiful. The mountain of the call upon our lives is beautiful and challenging. So challenging, in fact, that we don't quite want to embrace it. We want to know you, but not fully. We want to follow you, but not completely. We want to understand what it's like to be in relationship with you to a point. We still need your deliverance. We still need your freedom. We still need your forgiveness. And so in the midst of this moment of worship, God, what I pray is that the power of your Holy Spirit and the presence of your Spirit would stir powerfully in this place and in our hearts and begin to set us free to be resurrection people in this world for you. To be salt, to be light, to turn our lives over completely and totally to you as the Lord and Savior of our existence. Help us take the next step, O God. This we pray in the name of the living Christ. Amen.